Thanks to our praise team. Thanks for our choir, and thank you for participating in worship. And so it's so good to just sense God's Spirit with us this morning in a time of worship. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to read about four verses in Romans 8. And then um, uh, several other passages uh, that you probably won't have on the screen. I had so many. And so if you, I hope you bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles uh, every Sunday, every time we meet together. And uh, uh, that's something you don't need to be without. So, if you would follow along, be reading from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to share with you in a sermon entitled this morning, Saved and Secure. Saved and Secure. And our main text is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come and worship you. Thank you for the participation in worship. We pray, Lord, you were honored and glorified, and we worshiped in truth, spirit and in truth. And now as we've opened your word, speak to our hearts this morning. And I pray for each person here as you deal with us individually. And Lord, at the appropriate time that your Holy Spirit moves us to make decisions, that we'd be obedient to your Holy Spirit. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. For some time now, the only thing I could be thinking of in prayer time would be in Christ. In Christ. And it's just in Christ, in Christ. And so we'll deal with in Christ after a few minutes, probably the last point. But the main topic is saved and secure. Now, there are a lot of people who are Christians who have a very difficult time accepting the doctrine of what is referred to as the eternal security of the believer. Years ago, way back yonder, you used to hear people refer to that as once saved, always saved. Baptists have always believed in what's known as the eternal security of the believer. Now, some think that after a person is saved, after they have believed the gospel, they have to uh, strive and work in order to keep their salvation, or they're going to lose it. Now this, is, now, this is really important this morning, because some of you may be struggling with, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I remember when I asked Christ to come into my life. I remember when I believed the gospel, but I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know about this security of a believer thing. And so this is really important. Because if you can do something to lose your salvation, how are you going to know what that sin is? Uh, 
that caused you to lose your salvation. Now, a lot of times, oftentimes, we think of outward manifested sins. Oh, it's easy. I robbed a bank, you know. That's sin. Or I stole this, or I stole that, or I committed this, I committed that. That's obvious. But how do you know when you sin a sin that robs you of your salvation if you do not believe in the eternal security of salvation? Because let me remind you, there are sins of omission. The Bible says if you know to do something, if you know to do good and you doeth it not, then it's sin. And so there's some things that you could admit uh, omitted in your life that should have been good, or they were good, and you failed to o- obey God as He directed you to do those, and you sinned, and perhaps you don't even remember that. The point is, you won't know what sin that ca- you won't know the sin that caused you to lose your salvation. So consequently, so you have to live your life. In, in perpetual insecurity instead of eternal security. Now, verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation. So if you're taking notes, point number one. Saved and secure. How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm secure and I have a home in heaven? How do I know that this is eternal salvation? Well, first of all, the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation. I underline that word, therefore. So first of all, I'm eternally secured in my salvation because of that word, therefore. Now, the word, therefore, sends us back. Therefore, wherefore, sends us to something that's already been talked about, already been covered, already been read, studied. So the word therefore sends us back to what has previously been said. So let's just go over something from chapter 1 through chapter 7 real quick. So first, in chapters 1 through 3, God's proved the entire human race is totally sinful. Totally rebellious against God. And it's come to a conclusion in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, conclusion, chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in that, those three chapters, the Scriptures builds a case against, first of all, the gross immoral person. And then the Scripture builds a case against the moral person, the good person that thinks they're not sinners, or not a sinner. And then it builds a case against the religious person, the one that's all religious and thinks that they're not a sinner. And when you put all of those together, the Bible says that they are unprofitable because they have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then you come to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, you have the justification by faith. The Bible says, For as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for his righteousness. That little word belief is very important. And then in in, in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, 
How are you justified? Are you justified by your good works? No. Are you justified by serving the church? No. Are you justified by giving to the church? No. Are you justified by going through a ritual, baptism, or some other taking the Lord's Supper? Are you justified by doing those things? No. Not justified by that. Therefore, being justified, chapter 5, therefore, verse 1, therefore, being justified by going to church, no, being baptized, no, taking the Lord's Supper, no, serving God, no, doing good, sir, not uh, being kind, paying my bills, no, being justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're without Christ today, you do not have peace with God. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. I was sitting in McDonald's the other day talking to a guy, and he's talking about all God's children. We're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. You, you are either a child of Adam or a child of God. And the only way you can become a child of God is if you die to Adam and you receive Jesus Christ into your life. For as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You come to chapter 6. Justification is just enlarged upon in chapter 6. It was all accomplished at the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he was buried, he arose again. Then you show up at chapter 7, and Paul's struggling like we all struggle from time to time. How can I be delivered from this body of sin? Sometimes I do things I shouldn't do. Sometimes I should do things that I don't do. Then you show up at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation. Why? Because I've been justified by faith. Because Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He arose from the grave. And so the point is, because of all of this, chapters 1 through chapter 7, all of that's been accomplished by an act of God for which I did not contribute one iota, and you didn't either. For by grace are you saved, through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, it'd be a terrible time in heaven if we got there by works. Have you ever run across someone, and, um, and they just talk a lot? <laughs> Don't look at me like, I mean, <laughs> I set myself up for that, didn't I? Judy and I, we were in McDonald's for an hour and a half. I worked three tables while I was in there other night. <laughs> that's that's truth, isn't it, Judy? Where's she at? She said, I gotta go sit in the car. So but can you imagine if it was all by what we've done, we'd get to heaven. Oh God, there's Terry. He's gonna start telling me all that he did to get up here. If you ever wondered how long people would say, well, you know what I did to get here, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. You'd be there forever and ever. It, it, you can't boast because you haven't done anything. It's an act of faith. You're believing in the gospel. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He arose again. And you believe that from the heart. 
So we're at chapter 8. And because of what he's already accomplished, nothing that we've contributed at all. No, we don't have any energy in it. It's something that, that, that you didn't work out. We've been justified by faith. Therefore, of the past seven chapters of Romans, I'm saved and I'm secure and there's no condemnation. Therefore, what's in the past seven chapters? I know I'm secure and I know I'm saved. I know I'm secure. So first, I'm eternally secure because of the word therefore, which refers to what happened in chapter 1 through chapter 7. Number two, if you're taking notes, I'm eternally secure because there is no condemnation. Now let that sink in. There is, therefore, there is no condemnation. Paul has just, he's just announced some good news. I mean, the good news is not you've won the publishing clearinghouse and you get 25000 a month and the one you choose after you die, they get 25000 That's not the good news. The good news, you've won a mega lottery. Five million, eight million dollars, largest one that's ever been. That's not the good news. The good news is if you put your faith and trust in Christ, there is therefore, based on one through seven, no condemnation. None, nothing, zilch, zero, none, no condemnation. That word, little word no, draw a circle around that. That is known as an emphatic neg a negative adverb. It's pretty strong. It carries the ideal of complete cessation. Uh, let's say if it was raining yesterday, and it's not raining today, it has ceased from raining. This implies, this is, yeah, it ceased from raining, but it may rain today, but this says, this emphatic negative adverb says there's no condemnation. That means never, 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 never condemned as a believer. Never. According to God our Father, we'll never again be under or subjective to condemnation. That's spiritual death. The point is, no eternal death, no condemnation for every person who's asked mercy and believes the gospel. You say, well, Brother Samuel, what is that gospel? And I've, I shared this with you recently, and I, uh, Jamie mentioned it this morning. Here's the gospel. This is, this is plain as everything. Jot down 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Here's the gospel. Don't add nothing else to it. This is it. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved if you've kept in memory what I've preached unto you, which is the gospel, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all which I also received. Now who did he receive it from? He didn't receive it from other disciples. He received it from Jesus Christ himself there on the Damascus Road. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, and he was buried and he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures, period. That's the gospel. Didn't say anything about going to church. Didn't say anything about giving to the church. Didn't say anything about baptism. Didn't say anything about the Lord's Supper. They have their place. That's not the gospel. 
Read the book. There it is, plain as everything. So make a note. Deliverance from divine condemnation does not mean deliverance from God's discipline. Now, just because you're saved don't mean you, you have a license to sin. Because God's going God's to deal with you if you sin, just like we dealt with our children when they were growing up. Verse, Hebrews chapter 12, jot this down. Verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son whom he receiveth. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as a son, as a child of his. For what son is whom the Father disciplines not? But if you be without chastisement, where all are partakers, if you're a believer, you're going to be disciplined by God. If you're out of God's will, it's coming. All are partakers. And he said, if you're not experiencing it, the King James uses the word bastard, you're an illegitimate child of God. So don't think you're going to get by with anything. And if you're without discipline, you don't really belong to him anyway. you got a serious problem. And so he doesn't deliver us from discipline. He doesn't deliver us from our accountability to him. Galatians 6, 7, we talked about this recently. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. It's the law of the harvest. You don't pay for it. Kind of comes out. So I'm saved. I'm secure. How do I know eternal security? Because of the word therefore, verses chapters 1 through 7. Eternal secure because there is no condemnation forever. I'm finished with that. I've trusted Christ. And then third, and I'm going to close in a minute. Eternal secured because I'm in Christ. Now look at back, if you will, at Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? I don't know about that. Are you in Christ? You're in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? You know, everything in the Old Testament is illustrated in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting. When you think about being in Christ, think of Noah and his family being in the ark. When the ark was finished, it provided a perfect way to escape this divine wrath from a holy God. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, God told Noah, go get in the ark. So Noah takes his family. They get in the ark. And between that ark and the, and the judgment that was waiting on the outside was hewn wood and pitch tar. That's a sealant. You had hewn wood. Think of the cross. You had hewn wood. Think of salvation. Think of safety for no. The only thing between them and total wrath was hewn wood and pitch. And that word pitch is where we get the word atonement in the New Testament. Covering of blood of Jesus. Kind of neat, isn't it? And so between the ark and the water, the judgment, there was this hewn wood and pitch. And when Noah and his family went in... Genesis 7, verse 16. 
The Bible says the Lord shut them in. The Lord did. Shut them in. The ark. Shut them in. He didn't say, Noah, I want you to drive a bunch of stakes on the outside or spikes. And I want you to just hold on for dear life. And if you can hang on long enough, you'll be saved. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to go in the ark. They went in the ark. Then God shut them in the ark. The point is, what it meant for Noah to be in the ark, that's what it means for us to be in Christ. God has placed us in a sphere where His wrath will never reach us. You know where that is? In Christ. His wrath will never reach us because we are in Christ. We are as secure as Christ can make us. There is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. The other day at McDonald's, I was sitting there and I was talking to this guy. I talked to him for about an hour and all. My goodness gracious, it's something else. But it, it, was, a good, it was a good visit. And I noticed there's some Hispanic teenagers over there at the table. So I wandered over that way, taking my garbage to the garbage can. And when I get there, I knew one of them. And I spoke, and, hey, hey, Brother Sammy. And so I said, hey. And I asked them to, they know Kyle. Yeah, they just all lit up. And I made a picture of the whole bunch and sent it to him. And so I said, what's up? And they said, well, we just had a Bible study, and we, we've come here to kindly debrief, teenagers now, debrief in about, what love is, about what love is, and how we should love each other and how we should love ourselves. And so I, I had a good time and shared about love and some things about love and what the Bible says about love. Had a good visit there. And so with that in mind and thinking about in Christ, look to Ephesians chapter 25. Uh, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25, and, and there again, I'm trying to rush. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So, now listen, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is showing us that the body of Christ, as the church, is identical to a husband and wife in marriage that's made in heaven. And that's what that's, an, that's symbolic of marriage, Christ and the church and a husband and a wife. It's it's all it's all symbolic of, of heaven, Christ and the church. Husbands and wives are two people. They come together and they don't leave two people. What do they leave at? As one. You see all this coming about? What Paul is doing? And so this wedding ceremony often points that out. You have the unity candle, and, and then you have the mixing of the sands, and then you have the, the winding of the, the rope, all to demonstrate we're becoming one with each other. And so when you leave, there are no more two, but they're one, and so... A, Man is to leave father and mother and cling unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And if you can become one flesh with husband and wife, why can't you become one flesh with Jesus Christ? There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden, you become one in Christ when you get saved. So there's some things when you become a believer, a follower of Christ, you become a, a union with Christ, you become one with Jesus Christ, and that's really a deep concept, and it's hard to explain. You can't explain it, you accept it by what? By faith, that's what the book says. Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 29 says God has some secrets that he reveals from time to time, and there's some things he knows that we don't know about. And God's, re God's revealing a relationship in, in, uh, 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 in Ephesians chapter 5 in regards to a husband and wife and Christ in the church that never had been revealed before. Never had been revealed before. Ephesians 5, verse 26, notice what he says. He says, <clears throat> verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with what? The washing of water. That's not baptism. The washing of water of what? The Word. That's what he says. That he might sanctify the church and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. Not baptism, but by the Word. The point is the holy book, the Bible, is the cleansing agent for the church. Ephesians 5, verse 27, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish, down to verse 30. For we are members of his body, we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You see how we've come together with Christ? We've been integrated with Christ, and we are in him, and he is swear in us, in him, in us. The moment we got saved, we were placed in Christ. He also comes in to live with us. Verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5 says, This is a great mystery. It's a mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So a mystery is a secret that God has just now revealed to Paul. We've never heard before. When you go to the Old Testament, I mean, you can't see anywhere in the Scripture that had this kind of relationship. Uh, uh, Israel didn't have a marriage relationship with God. It, it wasn't told like this. Abraham didn't have this type of relationship where they, where they were entwined uh, with Jehovah God. But he says, I speak this concerning Christ in the church. So not only are we in Christ, but he is in us. He's in us. Friend, listen. There is therefore no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. So the point is, we're in Christ. We're hidden in God. And there's nothing can touch us. Jesus said that no man's able to pluck them out of my, my hand, my Father's hand. And so we have this full ramification that if I've entered into the salvation experience by faith, I can stand on the promise that he died for me on the cross. I died with him on the cross. He was buried in the grave. I was buried with him in the grave. He came up from the grave. I came up from the grave. All of that is... All of that is true today is as when he sees the cross, he sees 
himself on the cross. No, he sees me on the cross. He's my substitute on the cross. I should have been on that cross. When he was in the tomb, I've died to the old Adam. I'm in the tomb. I've been raised new in Christ. He sees him alive today in heaven. He sees me today alive in heaven. So eternal, secured because of the word therefore. Eternal, secured because there's no condemnation. Eternal, secured because I'm in Jesus Christ. But what about the person without Jesus Christ? No condemnation or condemnation. They still have that Adamic nature facing the spiritual death. So the question this morning, are, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? You say, how do I become in Christ? By faith, by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came, he died on the cross, he was buried, he arose again, he's coming back. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You know, do you really believe that? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to just take your word, to open your word, speak to our hearts. I pray for every person here, that everyone here today is in Christ. But if there's not, I pray, Lord, they'll humble their heart, ask you to forgive them. Realize, Lord, you came and died on the cross in their place. You were buried in their place. You arose in their place for them to have eternal life. And I pray today that they would believe that and turn to you, trusting you and only you for their salvation. That's what you've asked us to do. I pray for other decisions that need to be made this morning. Thank you for your word. We know it's true. And so we pray now that you would... uh, work in the hearts of people. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Terry's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. And on the first verse, if you would, you just step out and come. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You've heard about the gospel.